Hey folks, welcome to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, we've been trying to get this guest on since we started this podcast. Mostly because hockey is your favorite sport. I wanted her on because, you know, I, I think she's awesome. And uh, you, you wanted her on because you just want to talk about hockey. And that's how you roll, and that's cool. But we finally have Helena St. James to talk about the Detroit Red Wings, to talk about the Big 50, the Detroit wing, the men in the moments that uh, made the Detroit Red Wings. You know, because we wanted to plug her book, right? Is that okay, Carlos, with you? That's why she's here. That's why. Well, she's here for two reasons: plug books and uh, and to explain hockey to you, Sean. That's really why you've wanted her on. You want to, and Helena. You know what? If he starts asking you about icing rules and that kind of stuff, just you know, tell him to go get hockey for dummies or something. No, no, no. I'm hoping she'll explain the blue line to me. But uh, no, no, no. She's going to talk about the uh, the Wings 25 year anniversary with the with the Stanley Cup and her book, and we might even get to the current Red Wings, right, and the coaching search and so on and so forth. If that's okay. I, I hope so, too. Anyway, Helena, great to have you here, finally. Thanks for joining us. Uh, what is new? Well, thank you for mentioning my Big 50 book. I actually have a, my second book on the Red Wings coming out in October called On the Clock, Behind the Scenes at the Draft with the Detroit Red Wings. So, uh, it's going to print this week. In fact, I've just signed off on the final edits. So very, very excited about that. All about the wings at the draft and how, you know, their, their fortune really turned in 83 when they drafted Steve Eisenman and then took off in 89 when they drafted Nicholas Lidstrom and Sergei Fedorov. And this is actually a, a huge, uh, well, the start of June, a huge month for the franchise, you know, June 7th, the 25th anniversary of, winning the Stanley Cup for the first time in 42 years, but it was also on June 3rd was when Mike Illich was introduced uh, as a new owner in, in 1982. So it's 40 years since the franchise was bought by the Illiches after 50 years of Norris family ownership. So historic time for the franchise all the way around. Oh, wow. That's uh, well, my, my big question is how the hell do you have time to write a book, Lena? You're, I mean, you're constantly working. I mean, and even with this coaching search, right, that's kept you busy. But, I mean, when, when did you start the book? How, how long did it take? How do you squeeze? I mean, Sean writes once a week, and that's a lot for him. But, you're, I mean, you're writing three times a day. I mean, how do you do it? I, I, I write. I mean, when I was writing the book, uh, which was last summer and then through fall, it's just nonstop writing, uh, you know. So, so it's, but it's incredibly satisfying, you know, I mean, it's, it's a topic I really lo- uh, love writing about. So, but it is, it is a lot of work and it's funny when you turn in a manuscript, you know, you're just kind of like, okay, I don't want to see it for a while. But one thing I've learned about writing books is the manuscript, it's like a boomerang. It just keeps coming back to you. Like, okay, now we add photos. Now we, you know, look at edits. Okay. Fact check. It's just, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. Never believe in movies if they show that. They just send something in and then the next week it's in the bookstores. That's not how it works. So, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's a lot of work, but it's still something I enjoy, even though, you know, certainly the wings are not as entertaining as they were when I began in the mid, mid to late 1990s, uh, when they were just one of the most uh, amazing and entertaining and talented teams in the NHL. And who, so when this book gets turned into a movie, who plays you in the movie, Helena? Oh, hmm. I say, I might have to think about that one for <laughs> probably probably Kate Blanchett. Oh, she would be oh, she would be fabulous, call. right? I mean, she was. I thought she was maybe the best part of that movie. Don't look up. Uh, 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. She was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was the best part of the last Thor movie, too. Ragnarok. She was she was she was great in that. She's great in everything. Oh yeah, she Helena, was the she was the evil great. sister, right? Yeah, yeah, she was. She was. Elena, when you when you started off, you were you, you mentioned joining the wings back then. You covered the Pistons back in those days too, and I just want to know how much you missed the Pistons. You, your heart must ache. Oh God, you are ta- talking about basketball. How you brought her in and you tricked her, and now Listen, you're we doing can a turn this move. into twenty minutes on Darko Milicic anytime you guys want. <laughs> <laughs> No, but that 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 was a, a a big moment in your career, in all seriousness, right? Because you were you were around both teams, and then you got the chance to just be around the wings. And it, no offense against the Pistons, but I assumed uh, that was a little bit better for for what you were trying to do in the business. Well, it was fun. I mean, you know, the the NHL decided to spite itself and shut down entirely. You know, four and five. So I certainly covered the Pistons a lot that season. Uh, you know, kind of again. As they were competitive and, and competing for the NBA finals. So it was very entertaining. You know, it's, I, I just think hockey is so much, is so fun to watch, you know, and in NBA, I mean, playoffs are different, but NBA regular season, I feel like, do you really need to watch until the last couple of minutes? Uh, no, you don't. Yeah. But, but hockey, you know, like there's something happening the entire game that just kind of can get you out of your chair. And I, I mean, I, to me, the NHL playoffs, especially, I think the first round is probably the most entertaining and then the Stanley cup final, but the first round, I mean, like how could you not be entertained by Tampa and Toronto going seven games, you know, like it's just, you know, and, and, and especially these days, I mean, it's, you, I mean, it's not like, you know, it, it's funny when, when Illich bought the team, when Steve came into the league, there were 21 teams, right? 16 of them made the playoffs. Um, you know, you have pretty good odds of making it. Now it's so much harder. And in the first round, there's always really good teams that get bounced. Like it's just, you know, to me, the, the most. Sean hates that because watch. he wants he wants stars to be stars and to be glorified and everything to go to form. He doesn't want puck luck. He doesn't want weird bounces and hot goalies and and the craziness and unpredictability. Well, that always amused me in the NBA, you know, the whole, oh, I, I should get the call because I'm a veteran. It's like, what is this? You know, like you don't that's doesn't you don't get that in hockey. You know, there's no this favoritism because you're a bigger star than the rookie who just showed you up or whatever. Um, and I, I mean, I think that's that's part of what makes hockey so entertaining is is that you'll see an eight C come out of it. And, you know, going back to go back to 03, I mean, the wings were bounced as defending Stanley Cup champions by Jaguar from Anaheim. Like a goalie can make all the difference, can make up for whatever is in front of him. That's That to me is the entertaining part um, of, the, of the playoffs. No, I'm yeah, sure. I'm sure. Sean, Sean I'm, I'm just sure. likes things. No, no, no. I'm sure the league officers never would never want Connor McDavid in the in the NHL finals for sure. Oh my God, I knew you. You've been crying over Connor. No, McDavid it's not just him. No, bounced. you know what? You want to see it's Drysaddle too. If it's a team sport, you want to see the best players in the league occasionally make the deep runs. And in hockey, because it's so random, and as you point out, with the goal between puck luck and a goalie. You're right. I mean, it, yeah. I, I get it. It's fun, especially if you. But do you want to just hand them at birth? I mean. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't want to see Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid in the final, but they got to earn it. No, for sure. But upsets are great occasionally. But every year, when you if, and that's great. If you live in a city and you're the eighth seed, you know you have a really good chance to knock off the one seed. And, and I understand that that makes that fun. But eventually, at some, at some point, in some years, 
you want to see the best, most talented guys going at each other in the deepest part of the league, in the deepest part of the playoffs. You know, and that that's that's my my uh, my thinking on that. But I understand the the randomness, the upsets. That's all great. Why don't you just move to Canada then, Sean? <laughs> they don't ever win anymore, right? A Canadian, a, Can- a Canadian team has not won the Stanley Cup since Montreal in 1993. There you go, big bad American bullies. That's by the way, that still hurts because you brought up my Kings. So thanks, yeah. Marty McChorley's uh, a stupid city that doesn't stick. even deserve a team. But go ahead, Carlos. Oh, what? The Wings are about to hire one of the Kings' assistants, right? Helena oh, are they? They're not going to hire. They're not going to hire Cassidy. I don't know. Okay, let's 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 talk about that because we plugged your book and uh, let's talk about uh, plug both books and and we'll get to the the you know the the wings uh, run twenty five years ago in a, in, a, in a bit but let's first talk about this coaching search how about that Alina what what, what are you thinking what's your uh, what's your gut what's your sources telling you well, I, I, what can I you tell us I think it's interesting you know I mean Steve may have been paring down his list but then boom Monday night Bruce Cassidy becomes available and I think you you know you have to absolutely take a look at, at him. Uh, you know, it's just, there, there, there've been these late firings. Um, you know, I mean, Pete DeBoer by Vegas was, was kind of a while after uh, as well that, um, Barry Trotz becoming available that, that just these guys who, you know, when the season ended, probably weren't expected to be available. And, you know, the, I mean, there's no, there's no rush to hire anybody that the draft is coming up uh, in a month, but, Coaches don't have any input on that. The wings don't need one in place by that. Even free agency, I mean, a coach may try and push for a player to be signed, but his input is still limited. So, so long as you have somebody in place, you know, by the end of end of July. I mean, Steve joked he hoped to have one by training camp. Uh, but I just think, you know, you, you kind of you look at the guys who are available and the positions that are open. Vegas needs a coach. You know, they're probably going to have first pick because they're a good a good team you know you have to ask does a guy like Barry Trotz does he want to come to Detroit Detroit's you know not even a a playoff team yet I mean I I think realistically maybe they they try and aim for being a 500 team next season Um, you know that does he want to come in and, and rebuild at this point in his career and I would guess Vegas gets first dibs on or kind of just naturally is the most appealing position out there um you know, we'll, we'll see. I, the Wings aren't in a spot. I, I tell people, you know, they're not in a spot where they were in 93 when they brought in Scotty Bowman. They're not at that position yet. Um, you know, may, maybe Steve wants a guy on a three-year deal. I mean, I, I think the more veteran guys would probably want more job security along the four- or five-year deal. So, um, you know, I, I, I just I, I think there's no rush and there's no reason not to be thorough and, you know, as, as, as teams seem to get rid of highly qualified guys, um, you know, see, see who's available. And they, and they all say the same thing. Oh, we want to, we want to go in a different direction. We want a different voice. I mean, that's to some degree what Eisenman said, right? Yeah. You know, Steve wasted no time. Uh, you know, they finished the season on a Friday night in New Jersey. He uh, texted Jeff and some of his cohorts after the game to meet him at LCA the next day and gave them their, uh, termination packages. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I think, I, and I really think it was, you know, you could see it coming. I mean, just the way they fell apart in the second half, they, nobody expected them to make the playoffs, but those ugly, ugly losses, you know, 
9-1, at home to Arizona, 11-2 at Pittsburgh, you know, just, just some absolute blowouts. So I think you, you could see it coming that they, that they needed a new voice. And, you know, I mean, to survive seven seasons and six of those not make the playoffs is, is really quite remarkable. Well, that's my question is, I mean, you know, obviously the wings are not, you know, exactly primed to make the playoffs. Um, but I mean, are they not viewed the same way as they used to be viewed as one of these premier teams, you know, the history of the wings and, and, you know, you got Iserman as, as, as general manager, you've got a pretty st- steady owner. Um, you have obviously a, a patient owner and a somewhat patient front office here with seven years for Blaschel. How is this not more uh, a more attractive? You know, you have some young players, obviously. You know, Cider and Raymond and these guys. Uh, how is this not a more attractive job when you're looking at a long, you know, three, four year, uh, you know, tenure for a coach? Um, should it be more attractive? I think it is an attractive um, place to come, and I think it, it's. I mean, it hugely. And I've had guys like Mark Stahl and Sam Gagne tell me this. You know. It means something to be playing for an original six team. Having Steve Eisenman in charge, I mean, Mark Stahl was open about it. You know, he, I mean, he, you know, he, he was kind of taken aback when he was traded from the Rangers, but Steve called him and he said that really, you know, hel- helped him understand the, the value of the trade. Having Steve Eisenman in charge, I mean, you know, you walk around the locker room, you can't not see pictures of all the greats that used to play for the team. So I think from that perspective, now again, I go back to, you know, in, in 40 years, it's grown from 21 teams to 32 teams. There's so much competition and, you know, they, they're, they're not the landing spot for free agents looking to win a cup like they were 25 years ago when you would always see them at the trade deadline or in free agency sign a guy who would come in and be just, you know, kind of like what Darren Helm has been for Colorado, just a good veteran with cup experience coming in and help push them over the top again. I do think that they're an attractive landing spot. It's just, there's so much competition, you know, and we, we just don't see that prize players reach free agency anymore. Teams lock them up. So, so free agency, it's much, much harder to build through free agency. You really have to do it through drafts and, you know, Steve's picks have been phenomenal, but really, in you know, 15, they drafted Svechnikov. They ended up letting him go for nothing. 16, they draft, we're talking first round picks now, Dennis Chalowski. They lost him for nothing in the expansion draft. 17, Michael Rasmussen. I think he can be a good, a solid third line player, but that's not, you expect more from a guy who was in the top 10 pick. Philip Sedina, the number six pick in 2018. You know, you you hope that he can. I mean, he's still young, but it's been worrisome that he that he hasn't shown more already. So they kind of were set back uh, by those years in in terms of you know where they should be at. And then you know you can look at Colorado. I mean, Colorado, you know Nathan McKinnon. I think he was 2013 Landeskog, 2011. Like St. Louis when they won the cup. Like it's 10 years after they draft these guys who become superstars. It's not overnight. I know nobody wants a marketing slogan that says, please be patient, but that's... For a decade. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I point this out to people all the time. Steve Eisenman waited 14 years to win the Stanley Cup, and that was before the salary cap and with the 1989 draft when they got Fedorov and Lidstrom. Like, that's never going to happen again. I mean, that, that tells you how hard it is. Yeah, you, you made a really good point about that in um, in a story uh, recently 
that uh, the reason, it, the irony of 25 years later after the w- Wings won their cup, right? The Abs are back in the finals. The Wings are not, they're not even a playoff team. And a lot of that is because of the drafting, is how, how the teams have drafted over the last, you know, whatever it is, 10 years or so. Uh, obviously, that's not a... Yeah, drafting Datsuk and Sederberg really pushed the Wings to be competitive for a good decade more than, you know, the organization had kind of expected, okay, you know, in the mid-aughts when... You know, Iceman retired, Shanahan, Hall, all those guys left, um, that they were going to start going downhill. But then, you know, they in comes Datsuk, in comes Sederberg, and then in comes Nicholas Cronwall. And, you know, suddenly they have 10 more years of, of competitiveness. And it's, you know, I mean, a squandered opportunity for the ages that they didn't repeat in 09. But nonetheless, they did go back to the final. And during that time, Colorado was already on the downslide. And, you know, they also had some draft lottery luck and they drafted, uh, they got Kale McCard number four in 2017, who's, in my opinion, uh, should win the, the Norris Trophy this season. I mean, that's kind of, you know, but yeah, it, it's absolutely, it's a drafting is why Colorado is now on the rise again and why the Wings were able to sustain their success longer. And now that now that your boy, uh, um, the perfect human, is in charge over there and he has a job in Europe, it's all it's all fixed, right? He's gonna he's gonna set everything straight. They're gonna draft. Everybody's gonna be perfect, right? Is that is that the answer we're we've been waiting for? You know, I did ask Steve if he was gonna be titled the perfect vice president. In <laughs> typical Steve fashion, he said he had to earn it. <laughs> so, so you know, but it's good to have eyes in Sweden, you know. But the funny thing is, I mean, like. The Wings were one of, one of the reasons they got Lidstrom. Like, you know, they set eyes on him early, and then uh, he was actually going to come over. And you can read this in my upcoming book uh, about the draft. He was going to come over. He was so excited, 18 years old. And then they called him about a week before and said, no, don't come over. We don't want anybody to see you. Uh, you know, so he had, and this was back in, in 89, right? So he had to sit at home on, you know, Sweden is six hours ahead or seven hours ahead because the draft, the draft was in Minnesota. Uh, at a place where there's now an Ikea superstore, which is perfect, right? But um, and <laughs> yeah. his parents told him, you have to answer the phone if it rings because they didn't want to pick it up and be speaking Swedish and hear somebody, you know, but you're just not going to, you're just not going to see that any day. So yeah, the, the wings, I, you know, I, I think they, they may be the biggest employer of Swedes outside Volvo or something, but they, um, they have tons of eyes over there and certainly having Lidstrom in the fold is good. But again, it's just, it's not as easy to find stars as it used to be. Well, they have a pretty good young suite on the team now, but, but, but let's, let's stay with the Avs for a second, Alina. And just this, uh, first of all, Carlos, if you're looking at the whole 25 years, you'd absolutely take the, the Red Wings run Stanley cup titles, first of all, right. Most importantly, but deep playoffs runs, uh, playoffs uh, just year after year after year after year. I mean, I know Colorado, who knows, maybe they won it this year. But um, but overall, I still think you'd, you'd lean toward the wings. But Helena, let's go back to that twenty that 25-year, that 97 Cup and the 25 years later. What do you, what are your thoughts on the importance of that and kind of, and how are you remembering it? You know, I, I think it's just, it was such a special night. I mean, you know, there was, there was so much anticipation for them to be able to win it at home was incredible. And I remember you know, the, the Illiches were, were on the bench right when the buzzer sounded and actually touched the cup before, you know, Steve took it for a lap. And uh, I remember Steve saying afterwards, you know, his, his arms, he, he was just, his felt like his arms were going to fall off, um, but he wanted to savor, savor the moment. I mean, it was, it was incredible. 
you know, and, and just the fact that they, they had to go through Colorado, you know, it's funny back then they were in the Western conference. And so by the time they got to the final, it's like, there was no rival. There's no rivalry with, with whoever they meet in the final, you know, because there was, because they play them once or twice a season or something, but it was incredible. And, you know, I mean, just, you know, that iconic picture uh, taken by the free press's own Mary Schroeder of, Steve with the cup and, and, and his gap tooth grin because um, he had he had had a tooth removed uh, and didn't have time to get it fixed before before they won the cup. So that's why he's got a, a good hockey gap in his teeth there for commemorated for all the ages. Well, that's a, it's a great memory. And you're right. The great Mary Schroeder, who also took a really famous picture of picture of Kurt Gibson. Yeah. Uh, during the, during the '84 uh, World Series, when the Tigers beat the San Diego Padres, that's baseball, Carlos. Beat my Steve Garvey in the San Diego Padres. Yeah, I, I remember it well, Sean. You had a fetish for his forearms, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Steve Steve Garvey was my all. He's my all time favorite baseball player. Obviously, great Dodger, and it's just crazy that he went to Michigan State. I've crossed his paths. I don't know how many times I've met his agent. I've never met Steve Garvey somehow after like 20 really? years in Detroit. Wow. Yeah, I don't, and I, I don't look to meet people. I'm not trying to meet, but it's just weird that like of all the people, I haven't. He's we've literally been like two rooms away at like a stadium at the at Comerica. Haven't met him. One day. <laughs> well, listen, Helena, thank you so much for making time and for coming on to, with us today. We hope uh, we'd love to have you back around the draft, right before the draft, maybe after the draft, if that's better for you. And, and uh, after the draft, yeah. Yeah, after the draft, talk about who they get. Talk about uh, presumably a new coach at that point. I know the two of you love more of a dictatorship the way hockey's run, where the GM doesn't care what a hoot what, what? the coach what? thinks. Unlike the NFL and the NBA, where it's a little bit more of a collaboration. I'm surprised for a couple of progressives, by the way, that you love this dictatorial system where you can just wait on a coach because he doesn't matter what he thinks about who's coming in anyway. That's a, that's a, okay. That's an interesting turn to take. I don't think just, uh, <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, yeah. Helena's going to be back real soon. Explaining, now. I'm totally explaining how it takes. No, but I mean like that's yeah, yeah, that is, but a coach absolutely has, has input. Um, I know, I know, I know. I'm but, kidding. uh, but you know, Steve, Steve, I, I will say this about Steve could teach, governments how to keep things quiet i mean there are no leaks out of his organization he could put <laughs> north korea to shame with uh with, with the amount oh. of leaks that <laughs> wow dear leader eiserman like <laughs> that's funny well helena again thanks for uh thanks for taking the time thanks for joining us yeah um you can check out the the the, the great helena st james at freep.com and find her free press work uh, as carlos pointed out several times a day and also, uh, you can find her Detroit Wed Rings, the Big 50, at, at bookstores online. Uh, Barnes & Noble, is that a pretty good place, Helena? How about that? Absolutely. Okay. Amazon, I guess if you have to, not you know, hey, it's it's money. So that that's all good, too. And then, again, tell us real quickly the name of your upcoming book. It's called Behind the Clock, or uh, On the Clock, Behind the Scenes at the Draft for the Detroit Red Wings. And it's coming out in October. Okay, well, we'll look forward to that, and uh, thanks again, and Carlos and I will be right back. Hello, I'm Phil Friend, the host and producer of Spartan Speak, a podcast collaboration between the Detroit Free Press and Lansing State Journal focusing on Michigan State sports. Each week, I'm joined by the OGs of the MSU podcasting game, 
freak beat writer Chris Lowry and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch as we discuss and dissect the latest sports news coming out of East Lansing. Not only is Spartan Speak one of, if not the longest-running MSU sports podcast out there, you won't find a show with two people as clued into the Spartans as Chris and Graham, each of whom have spent a decade-plus covering MSU and bring years of institutional knowledge and insight to the podcast. And once in a while, they'll let me throw out a take as well. Along with discussing the latest news, we'll break down the Spartans' last game in the hardwood and the gridiron. What went right? What went wrong? Jet sweep. Again? For both Mel Tucker and Tom Izzo, get you ready for the next game, make predictions, and so much more. We can also guarantee at least one reference to Kalamazoo every podcast. So if you haven't already, download, subscribe, and listen to Spartans Speak on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on your podcast app of choice. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Um, Carlos, I know you're first on the the marquee. I know this is your podcast, but I was hoping to, um, you know, just kind of bring up a topic here uh, that you and I have talked about, but we didn't really do this in our pre-production meeting. We, we production have production meeting. meetings. I, I think I what haven't been to one it? yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, what the hell? What the hell is a pre-production <laughs> meeting? We did, how about just a production meeting? Yes. But uh, yeah, okay. Look, let's uh, let's get into pop culture here a little bit because, and, and I know we talked about this last week a little bit, and maybe we did mention this in email, but the phenomenon of Top Gun, the Ma- of Top Gun Maverick, and and what's going on with this movie, and the uh, the the the, the, um, the records it set for Tom Cruise is is one thing, but just the all the think pieces that are starting to come out, the the reaction on social media to this movie from people all over the political spectrum, from all sorts of different backgrounds. I, I wanted to get your take, and I wanted to, to dig into this a little bit about, first of all, when's the last time you remember a movie having this kind of effect uh, on this sort of broader spectrum, right? And then and then secondly, just what is it about this movie that has made this movie one of those kind of movies? Because it's been a while. You know, the way, to me, and and, and this, is, uh, this is going back a ways, it's not exactly a one-for-one comparison. But Rocky two, Rocky one was such a phenomenon. It was such a iconic, kind of groundbreaking movie, you know, in its genre. Uh, they actually pioneered a lot of stuff the way that Top Gun did. You know, they they kind of created the Steadicam to shoot in the ring itself. Um, they did a lot of interesting things. But Rocky two came out just a few years, two years, whatever after the original. But if you'd waited whatever it is, 30, 30 some years for the sequel, maybe it would have had the same impact. But I think when you have a movie that, you know, um, touches people, you know, and really, really breaks ground, really becomes, you know, an icon of the genre, launches careers, all that stuff. Uh, and then you wait so long. And then the timing is just perfect, right? We've been in the pandemic. People have been uh, loath to go back to theaters. Um, I told you it was my first movie experience in a theater since the pandemic um it's all the timing i think right um it's just it's just striking the right chord uh so i i'm a little surprised at how much people are loving it because i always thought well i'm just a fanboy of course i'll love it but um but yeah it's uh it's been a it's been a fun ride to see how well it's doing well i I think there from my perspective i think there are a few things excuse me i'm leaning away from the microphone andrew mr producer um i hope that Corey doesn't send me another nasty email but we'll see. By the way, we haven't mentioned Anjanette Delgado, so there. So that's checked. <laughs> the first at the first mention of a of a chastisement, yeah. Anjanette Delgado pops I up. Know, the association game, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like it's like a digital Rorschach test. 
So, <laughs> so, so there we go. No, but no, but th- this movie to me, you're right. The timing is a, is is certainly part of it. Coming out of a pandemic, um, not having been in the theater for a while, the timing also just the nostalgia from the original movie. But this movie is, I think, culturally more significant than the original movie. First of all, the original movie was a hit and it was groundbreaking in some of the ways it was filmed, but there was a lot of pushback. And I remember, I mean, it was also tied up into a different era with Reaganism and, and, and so forth. And there was a, a difference in optimism about the country, at least among some folks. But I remember some pushback back. Yeah, well, this is 86 though. This is well into No, 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 no. I mean, but it was it's... still, but it was seen, especially by, it, you know, a lot of folks on the left back in those days, is just a piece of propaganda, right? A nationalistic kind of thing. And, and I haven't heard really much of that at all with this. It's it's just it's. There's almost no enemy. There's almost no bad guy in this. Yeah, but but it. Yeah, no matter how you see the country right now, you can look at that movie and think, okay, you can see what you want in it and think, oh, you know what? This is who we want to be. This is this is who we can be. This is who we have been in spots. And so I I, I think that's also going on. I mean, right? I mean, I think we're so. We're so starved right now. I mean, I don't remember if we talked about this last week or not, but I, I just think we're so starved to find something we can all share. And it's funny that this movie has given us a little bit of that, right? I, I think at its heart, that's what it's doing, along with the timing of the nostalgia that some have through the '80s and and coming out of the pandemic. Oh yeah, there's and there is. You're you're right. There is there is a a longing to be together. You know, to 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 share experiences. Um, you know, you're you're not much of a company guy or team player, but we the free press has a softball team, and well, I we, had uh, we I used it. to play. I used to play there, by the way, back when you were mm-hmm. covering auto racing and golf. I used yeah. to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I used to. Uh, I know that's why you moved to Michigan because of the golf courses, and they are beautiful. But I used to. Uh, I used to play, but you know, I just tore. I tore my one good knee up, and that and that was that. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, we have people who come to just cheer us on, but I know you you don't have time for that. Um, but yeah, we 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 are looking for those, you know, the commonality that the, all the experiences that we've missed out. I feel like we're trying to make up for time. You know, we lost a year and a half in the pandemic of not getting together. Uh, we're still not really getting together the same way. So I think that you know, sitting and I was surprised. I mean, I, I'm sure you know, a lot of our our one listener, you know, has probably had this experience himself probably, but, um, how it felt to see a movie with other people. And my wife, my wife joked how there were like only 10 other people in the theater when we went on a morning on a weekday morning. And she said, I think, I think everybody in this theater, it's a dude who dragged his wife or girlfriend to this thing. (laughs) It was all couples. It was, it was not like kids or anything like that. Um, so, but yeah, it felt there was something, I don't know what it is, Sean, there's something magical about the theater experience. And I, I've supported it, you know, growing up in LA, that's what we do. We watch a bunch of movies and, you know, and I want theaters to survive. I like that shared experience as, as sometimes annoying. It can be a little bit annoying. People are popping on their cell phone to look at messages and you see little lights popping around, whatever. Um, but I've always said, you know, we buy the snacks. We pay that price because that's how the theaters make their movie. They make their movie. They don't make money on the run of the movie until something crazy like the sixth or eighth week of the run. If it lasts that long, they're just making money on the concessions um, and the tickets are practically give them, giving them away these days. But yeah, I, I want theaters to survive for that reason, for that 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 experience that you just can't get. No matter how great your home theater system is, you just can't replicate it. 
No, for sure. It's uh, it, that that's absolutely part of it. And this in the shared experience, I think, is important. But beyond um, beyond the movie theater experience, I, I I think there's a shared um sort of social experience with the, with this movie for for a lot of people. Obviously, not for everybody, but 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 for a lot of people, and and that just feels it feels different. It also feels um, familiar a little bit. You know, because we used to we used to occasionally have movies like this where, but we kind of I, I just feel like we took it for granted. You know, it, it was just it was just part of the American life, and 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 maybe back in and, and maybe back in those days, even some of those movies weren't as inclusive as some of us thought they were at the time. And and, and looking back, but there's just you know, I, I think you watch this movie, <clears throat> excuse me, and you you there are lots of different parts. I mean, we talked last week about how there's there's beautiful moments of quiet. Especially with uh, Iceman and, uh, and and Maverick, Iceman played by Val Kilmer, Maverick obviously top, uh, Tom Cruise. But so there's that. But there's also just you. I, I think you can identify. There's lots of different folks in there you can identify with, depending on who you are and how you grew up and where you're from and all that. At the same time, then watching all those folks kind of navigate each other in a way that is ultimately about kind of finding common ground. Then Carlos. You talk about the footage, right? The raw, incredible footage. It's not CGI. So we're talking about wanting a common experience, common experience, and we're also talking about wanting something that's authentic. And I know that sounds silly to talk about that in a in a way because it's a Hollywood movie, but it's within the context, within the rules of movie making, it's quite real in terms of the way it was filmed in those F-18s and the, the way they took the actors it up. And you can tell the difference. And that's another thing. I think we've just kind of accepted that CGI is, is part of our summer movie experience. And, and that's fine. It allows us to, you know, create all these worlds. And oftentimes they're wonderful. But I hate it, by the way. But don't you think? I mean, don't you think that the, the visceral feeling yes. and, the, and the footage is probably the other huge reason or maybe the main reason and these other reasons are ancillary reasons, but... Don't you think that footage is part of it too? Absolutely. You know, and that that's the thing with when AJ Abrams uh, or JJ Abrams relaunched the Star Wars franchise, he got rid of all this Lucas CGI junk, you know, all this, you know, Anjanette's going to get mad at me, but like diarrhea on the screen of special effects. It was just like Lucas just assaulted you with the in the prequels with just so much stuff going on that meant nothing. A, a Jackson Pollock of CGI. <clears throat> right. Well, that's I that I wouldn't smear Jackson Pollock that way, but yeah, that's well, it was no, you're much. using you're using words like diarrhea and smear, so you know <laughs> you're elevating the conversation. I'm I'm dragging into the gutter, so that's that's my role. But no, no, but, it's okay. It's your show. But yeah, that's that's the thing is 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 less is more. You know, sometimes, and that was the beauty of the first movie. And even though you know the close up shots or whatever, they were in a studio, they were manufactured. They did a great job of replicating what it felt like or looked like it should have felt like to be in a fighter jet at the time. And then they obviously shot real footage of, you know, the jets actually doing, you know, their maneuvers, whatever, um, you know, uh, out wherever it was in the desert. Uh, but it, it felt it, like you said, visceral, you know, it wasn't this sanitized, you know, amazing, whatever CGI, you know, all these, you know, aerial acrobatics that aren't possible. And that's what I don't like about all these. I mean, my, for some reason, my wife really likes like all these, you know, Thor, Marvel movies, and this and that, and and they're okay to me. I like stories more, but um, I love yeah, I, I can love tell action you're writing. Movies. Yeah, thank you, well, thank you very much. And but but it's 
it's uh when it's too much you know thor and the rainbow bridge and all this stuff and it's just like this isn't real this doesn't feel real this is just a kid came up with this in his head and they're they have the ability to make we have such power now you know technological power to create any world we want um and sometimes, it doesn't yeah, it doesn't yeah. mean anything anymore no you know? it's a, yeah sometimes people are okay just to see this world represented in a, in a in a way that feels um recognizable yeah right and and, and i think ultimately that's what uh that's what we got with this um look carlos I, i'd like to take a quick break and um come back and do my favorite thing and maybe a little bit of an extended my favorite thing if if that's okay and before yeah. we but before we do that i just want to Thank you for the shout out in your column this week about the lions, (laughs) about the lions and hope. I think I think it was a shot at at hope. It's funny because the shot at me in your column actually links to a column where I was sort of bemoaning hope. So it's uh, no, you weren't. You were peddling hope as you always. No, I wasn't. I was saying I was writing about how bad the Tigers started out and how you know you shouldn't let that interfere with your hope of the Lions. But then maybe the Lions don't deserve hope. I don't know. It's a little (laughs) bit more. I I know nuance isn't your favorite thing, but uh, in any case, well, look, let's uh, let's take one last quick break here, and we'll come back with our favorite thing. My name is Kerry Junior the Second. I'm a podcast producer and reporter with the Detroit Free Press, and now the host of Freep's new weekly podcast, On the Line. Our job is to understand the issues and the people that the issues affect in our state and region and tell the news. I want Detroiters, I want Michiganders, I want Metro Detroiters to hear themselves and maybe get a sense of peace in this podcast. Maybe not in the topics we're covering, but in the sense that we're the Detroit Free Press. And you can come here to know what's happening and trust that we're going to tell the truth, give you the facts and do it authentically. We're going to give you the voices that are in those areas, whether it be in Owasso, whether it be in Petoskey, whether it be in Birmingham, Warren, Gross Point, Southwest Detroit. You know, we're going to give you what it sounds like to be there. So every Friday in your feed, wherever you get your podcast, when you press play, we want this podcast to sound like home. We want it to sound like Michigan. We want it to sound like Detroit. I think that's all I got. So let the journey begin. Hey, folks, welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos, and I guess me, but mostly Carlos. Carlos, uh, what is your favorite thing this week? My favorite thing, Sean, was that uh, last week, as you know, my kids are graduating. My twin daughters are graduating from high school, and at our school, uh, at their school, Gross Point South, they have a really nice tradition. I think it seems like it's more common uh, throughout different schools now but it certainly didn't exist when i was in school and they have something called a clap out i don't know maybe it's a very common thing in detroit but uh they have a they had a little uh, ceremony for all the seniors and what they do is they would get out of school in the morning at about 11 in the morning their last day after the last final and all the other students in the school and all the teachers line up inside the hall you know the band is there they're playing music and they clap for the kids as they walk out and then as they get to the lawn, to the front lawn, the parents are there lined up as well, and they clap for them as they walk through. And it was just a really nice um, kind of final, you know, goodbye to the experience. And, and it's it's surreal. It doesn't feel, it still doesn't feel like they're done with their, you know, 12 years of, uh, of education, um, but 
it was a nice um, fitting um, uh, goodbye, you know, a, a touching send off. Uh, so I, I knew it was coming and, you know, I got a little emotional. My wife, my wife definitely got emotional, <laughs> um, but it was just a really nice memory and a really good tradition. I hope, I hope more schools do it. It was, uh, it was well executed. So, um, that was my favorite memory last week, Sean. Well, that's a, that's an important, um, important, uh, time, isn't it? And it's, uh, that's actually really a lovely description, Carlos. Yeah. Thank you. That, that's, that's nice to hear. Congrats to your kiddos. That's uh, that's also awesome. It's um, it's a bittersweet time though, for sure. Yes, that's the thing, you know. The, the from the minute they're born, you know, you know that moment's coming, and um, mm-hmm. and you think, oh, it's a long way off at first, but then you realize, no, it's not, <laughs> and it uh, it goes by pretty quickly. Um, for my favorite thing, I, I I this is silly to use the phrase my favorite thing, but I I, I want to talk about this in this in this space. Um. Uh, let me, let me, let me just say it this way. My, my cousin, Brady Gardner, um, died Sunday morning at, at, uh, early in the morning. He, he, um, lived in Nashville, Tennessee, which is where I moved to when I was nine years old after my parents divorced, we were living on a military base in Germany. And, uh, my mother and my brother and I moved to Nashville so that we could stay with Brady and his younger brother, Brett. And their parents, my aunt and uncle, my uh, aunt Becky and uncle Larry, my mother's sister, my aunt Becky, while she went to look for work. And she spent a lot of time in D.C. So she was not there for most of my fourth grade year. She would come back and, and see us some. But so this is in the in the in the uh, in the seventies, in the mid seventies. I, I, I yeah, I want to say seventy. I can't remember the exact year. Seventy five, seventy six, somewhere in there. And for a family to take in two kids just out of the blue like that is is not easy. And Brady was five at the time. And um, and all he did was take my brother and I and treat us like older brothers. And for the next year, we went to school together. We slept in the same room together. He shared his mom and dad with us. We uh, ate at the same dinner table together. We went out and played kickball, Carlos, with a rubber ball in a little part of the yard, and there were a row of hedges at the at the edge of the yard that was kind of the outfield a little bit. And if we managed to kick it over the hedge, what felt felt like a heck of an accomplishment at that age, we called it an overbush, which was basically a home run. Um, when it rained, we had a little ravine out there with grass, and we'd run and sprint as fast as we could and have like a natural slip and slide with the grass and the rain and in Nashville where we were living at the time was a little bit hilly. So you had the advantage of a hill and extra gravity pulling you down that, that wet grass. But, but I've been thinking about the reason I want to put this in my favorite things is because I've been, because of uh, his death, I have been thinking a lot about um, those days and just what Brady meant to me. Um, I mean, he is like a brother and it's the same with my brother. It's, it's, we, you have cousins that you love and you care about, and then you have cousins that are like Brady, right? And they're they're really like your siblings. And that it's a he came into my life at a huge point, and I mean we'd known him since we were babies. But I just uh, I just I just wanted to to talk about that and how people adapt and and take you in in tough circumstances and how you can navigate things and then how you keep those connections for the for the rest of your life. Um, so yeah, thinking about all those memories, those days, uh, has been pretty, um, pretty amazing. I, I mean, I would much rather have him 
I would much rather that he did not. Uh, he was only 52. He died of the same disease that uh, killed my mother. They killed his mother, my Aunt Becky, uh, killed my grandmother, my uncle, my cousin, and just about every other um, person on my mother's side of the family. Whether uh, my brother and I um, end up with that fate, we, we don't know. But but what we do know is that that disease, it's a frontal lobe, a frontal, uh, temp, it's frontal lobe dementia, has been a part of our life, all our lives. And what it's done is make us live in the moment more than we might otherwise have. And uh, that's not to say that we just gamble everything away like Carlos would and, you know, blow our retirement or whatever. We we try to find the balance, but we've all been living with this, and so it, we, we, we try to enjoy the, the days uh, as we get them. And um, in any case, I just wanted to, to talk about what a, a special, uh, joyful, loving soul Brady was and um, and just the memories – of family and the influence that you can have as, and he was five when, when we lived together, I was nine. My brother was, was a uh, six, just the influence you can have at, at such a young age and the, the, uh, the way you stay connected for decade after decade after decade. So that's, that's my favorite memory, Carlos. Oh, that's beautiful. And I'm sorry for your loss, Sean. Well, well, thank you, Carlos. I'm uh, I'm going to, I'm going to try to write about this for the free press here at, at some point And, um, I, I don't know when it'll come out, but uh, I just wanted to sort of put that out there too. No, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, it's always it's always you know great to share those experiences. You know, I think a lot of people feel the same way sometimes about loss. You know, but it's it's really hard to articulate it. And when someone's able to do it, you know, when a talented writer such as yourself, Sean, is able to, oh, do it, you don't makes you don't. a lot of connections. You know, that's okay. You don't have to try to make up for, uh, you, you know. <laughs> Throwing you another bus in my call. No, don't do, don't do that. But in any case, um, sorry to get a little bit serious there. but No, no, no. It's wonderful. But I, I wanted to talk, and I, I, I thought about telling you before, but I just wanted you to react because you're really good at that. And, um, you know, I knew yeah. you'd be okay with that. That's so. wonderful. But uh, in any case, Carlos, it was a, um, a pleasure as always. I'm glad we got to talk hockey. You try to sneak pistons Finally. in there, but yes, yes, yeah, yeah. No, you would have, I, you would have been happy if Helena took this to the Pistons, right? If she just no, I would, I know I wouldn't have. I just remember, I mean, I just remember how she she really enjoyed uh, just being able to focus on one team, and she's just, I mean, look what she's done. You know, she's she's really really good at what she does. So that was uh, that was a good decision by whoever made those decisions. I can't even remember. It's been it's been a while, but uh, no, Carlos, it's a pleasure. Congrats again to your girlies. As uh, they would say over in Amsterdam. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I'm sorry. Wait, you've been to Amsterdam? I what was there you, a few. Well, what did I'm, you do in Amsterdam, Sean? I uh, stayed. What kind of with, recreational uh, activities did you engage in? Actually, nothing. I just I stayed uh-huh. with a family and um, I stayed with a family of uh, yeah with 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 Steph, who's uh, basically my younger sister. In any case, uh, Carlos, let Mary Jane, Mary Jane. No, 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 no. I don't. I don't need to fly three thousand miles to get paranoid. You know what I mean? Plus, the munchies are better over here. Although they do have really good street waffles over there, strufaffel or or no, the the little the little waffle cookies with the caramel, and then they got the little street oh, waffles. Oh, uh, it's called um, yeah, Stru- it's called Stru- um, strufaffel. Stru- Stru- I can't remember. Stru- Stru- they they sell them at Trader Joe's. And yeah, let your natural German come out. That's that's good. Yeah, I'll work on. <laughs> <laughs> 
Strom, and, I, and it's funny because I, I make the Colonel Klink uh, accent whenever I talk about them to my wife. Do you want a Strumpfwaffle or whatever? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's like Swedish, uh, German, whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, in any case, we'll, do, we'll have our research department figure figure out the pronunciations. And they're the, they're the little uh, little waffles too. There's also a little fried ball with ham and cheese and other stuff, and that's a national snack. Bitballer, bitballer, bitballer. I can't remember. We'll we'll get the research part, uh, department to get on that, and we'll we'll have that we'll have that information for you next week. Carlos, let's thank our listeners for for spending some time with us. Uh, let's thank Andrew Hammond for uh, for what. For making this Producing. show possible, you never, yeah. you never say his title. He's the producer. He's the producer of the Carlos uh, podcast. We want to thank uh, uh, the Free Press Sports. Sorry, with Carlos and Sean. Oh, sorry, Anjanette. Okay, I hope you're happy. We also want to thank Anjanette Delgado. Uh, we want to, who is the executive producer. We want to thank Kirkland Crawford, who is a co-producer. Or should no, we say he's also executive? He's, he's executive an, producer. You're right. He's an executive producer. You know, Titles mean nothing to you, do they? No, they mean they mean everything to me, right, uh, Mrs. Delgado or Miss Delgado? Sorry, huh. I'm messing that up. You also called her Anjanette. It's Anjanette. Anjanette. We're it's gonna be taking. This is our last. Yes, this is gonna be our last episode. You think so? Yeah. That's probably a relief. She's not gonna be happy. Then Andrew can go back to 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 his love of baseball and all that. Not have to worry about this at all, right? Dressing up as a pirate, but really being a Royals fan. Yeah, you can tell us more stories about Ron Say. You can talk about Steve Garvey. <laughs> do what you really want to do. No, no, no. Seriously, because uh, we need to get out of here. Let's uh, let's finally thank Peter Bati, the the editor of the Free Press, and then uh, and we want to thank you. If you like the uh, podcast, as, uh, I do. I'm not sure Carlos does, but uh, we're working on that. You, yeah, you're giving us a kind of a, eh, okay. eh, you know, I, I don't blame you. You can find us wherever you find your favorite podcasts at Apple, Spotify, and once you get there, give us a give us a rating. Tell us what you think. We'd uh, we'd love to have your feedback. In the meantime, we will talk to y'all next week. I don't care what they say, baby. It's all right.